God, we ask that you would be with us this morning as we continue this walk with Abraham, uh, this walk that uh, he made with you. And help us to be reminded of the steps that we are taking and the steps that we need to take as we make our walk, our daily walk and our life walk with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we continue the story of Abraham. And I don't know about you, but I have marveled at the ways in which the aspects of Abraham's story include so much of what happens in our lives. Now granted, none of us are having children with our wife's Egyptian slave at age 75, okay? That doesn't really apply, but that's not what I'm talking about. Instead, what I'm referring to is not trusting in God's promises. That's the big one. Taking matters into our own hands. Instead of waiting on God, and what that really means is being patient, waiting on him, waiting for him, acting out of fear instead of acting on and out of faith. And the list goes on. And we often forget that the people who are in the Bible, in this case, the great patriarch and matriarch of the Israel nation, were just people. They were just folks like you and me. They had to deal with all of the stuff that we have to deal with, the challenges, the difficulties, the fears, the temptations, thank you, and the failures. But they also had to learn with how to deal with being blessed by God, being successful, how to handle that. You see, life isn't just about what happens to us. You know, we'll remember that stuff. But what's even more important is how we respond to the stuff. What we do when the stuff comes into our lives. And that's really what makes us who we are. That's our walk. That's the, the fruit that we produce. Uh, our goal, of course, is to always produce good fruit, right? But even when we don't, how we respond to the mistakes when we make them, and notice I said not if, but when we make them, how we respond to those mistakes is really what is most important. Well, the next steps in our walk with the story of Abraham how to do, have to do with walking in authority and walking in favor. And as you see up on the screen, that's the, the title of the message this morning. And that sounds positive. It's good to have authority. It's good to have authority, especially when that authority comes from God. And it's good to have favor, the blessings of God. But I really could have entitled this sermon, What Happens When Christians Mess Up? Because the 21st chapter of Genesis does not paint Abraham or Sarah in a very positive light. Now, you'll remember the story from Tim's message last week in the previous chapter. Abraham had lied. He had lied to Abimelech the king. And out of fear, he did so. And he had done this now for a second time. He had told someone that Sarah was his sister and not his wife. First it was Pharaoh that he had told, and now it was Abimelech that he lied to. You see, Abraham had feared that both Pharaoh and Abimelech would think uh, would, would, uh, that the king was godless. Abraham had thought 
that the Abimelech and Pharaoh were godless. He had feared that. He feared that they would kill him in order to get to Sarah. And so they lied. Chris had put Sarah in a pretty compromising position. We also remember that God communicated to the pagan king Abimelech in a dream that Sarah was Abraham's wife. And this supposed godless king, at least that's what Abraham had thought, listened to God. And he never touched Sarah. Of course, God threatened to destroy him, threatened to kill him, right? And he returned Sarah to Abraham. They had the promise that Sarah would bear a son, but that didn't seem to matter. Abraham caved when push came to shove, you see, when that fear kicked in. He took matters into his own hands. And then we remember from several weeks ago that Abraham and Sarah took God's promise of a son and of a great nation into their own hands. You see, they couldn't wait, or they didn't trust, or a combination of both. And how did they take the promise into their own hands? Well, they used Hagar, Sarah's Egyptian handmaiden, as a kind of surrogate mother, and Ishmael was born. Well, in both, really, I guess we could say in in all three of these instances, they did not trust God. They didn't believe by faith. Instead, they believed by sight, what they could see with their own eyes. And they took matters into their own hands. They lacked faith in the promise of God. They denied the power of God to fulfill his covenant promises. And yet... And yet, they continued to be blessed. They continued to be blessed. And chapter, chapter 21 tells us of three instances when God's blessings continued to come into the lives of his people, even at times, at the time when their faith was at a really low point. And that's the first lesson that we really learn from Genesis 21 this morning. God's blessings continue to come into the lives of his people even when their faith is at the lowest ebb. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want anyone to conclude this morning that holiness isn't important. Disobedience has painful consequences. And chapter 21 speaks to those consequences as well. So be looking for instances of both of these in chapter 21 as we go through it. Blessings and consequences. And in order to go through chapter 21, we're going to go through chapter 21. You know, uh, it was just a a couple of weeks ago, um, Mike Morby reacquainted us with some expository preaching, going through the chapter pretty much verse by verse. And, And I think that's probably the best way to get at the meanings, at least of this chapter. Some of these lengthy passages can be a bit of a challenge. So in order to do that, we're going to do some expository preaching, but I'm also going to reacquaint you with something that Josh Bitework used to do when when he was here, and that is to use the marker board. Remember how Josh used to always use the marker board. So let's talk a little bit about what we have. First of all, there are three stories in chapter 21, Genesis chapter 21. You have the birth of Isaac. And that's like verses 1 through 7 or something like that. 
And then you have uh, the next part is how God provides and protects Hagar and Ishmael. They're protected. And that's verses uh, 8 through 21. And then you have the last part, which is verses uh, 23 through 34. You have a treaty with Abimelech. So those are the three stories that are contained in chapter 21. Now, as I said, the sermon today is entitled Walking in Authority and Walking in Favor. So those are the two words that we're going to be looking at, the two two uh, concepts. Um, what, what's the meaning of authority? Give me some ideas. What is authority? What's that? The boss. It's over here? Person in charge? Yeah. What does that, what does the boss or the person in charge have? Yeah, it's a type of power, right? So we could say that authority is power or they have a right to do what? Well, lots of things. If you're the boss, if you're the person in charge, right? You, it's the power or right to control, to make decisions, to enforce uh, obedience, to speak on behalf of or represent someone else. All right. So, there are different types of authority also. There is God-given authority. There is world-given authority that we have in our political leaders, all right? And then there is also, whoops, must have hit a double, there's self-appointed authority. Do we know any self-appointed authorities? Yeah, I think we probably do in our lives. Hopefully you are not one, but uh, we do have self-appointed authorities that we have to deal with in our, in our lives. All right, the next word is favor. What is favor? Some ideas or synonyms for favor. Anybody? Louder. I still can't hear you. Special treatment. Excellent. Yeah. Blessings. Yep. Anything else? Mercy. Yep. Grace. Approval, support, preference, acceptance, special benefits or blessings. All right. Now, types of favor. Types of favor. Well, there is merited favor. In other words, you get a favor from somebody because you have done something for them. It's the idea, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. So it's that tit-for-tat type of mentality. So that's merited favor. Then there is unmerited favor. What do we call unmerited favor? Grace. That's what we call unmerited favor. All right, so that is what we want to keep in mind as far as that's concerned. And it is grace that is often received in spite of what we're doing. We like to think it's because of something good that we've done. No. It is unearned. It is completely unmerited in every sense of the word. So that's really important for us to remember. All right, we're going to talk about the story, and we're going to go through this, and we're going to see where it falls, where the different parts of the story fall as far as authority, and as far as favor, 
are concerned. Let's look at the first several verses. One through three. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Really make it clear who the parents were here, don't they? They really go back and forth and and mention that and repeat it several different times. Anybody know how long it took for this promise to be fulfilled? 25 years. 25 years. We know how old Abraham was? He was 100. 100 years old. Sarah was 90 at the time that Isaac was born. So that really, verse, verse, verses one through, uh, 1 through 3 really talk about God's favor. You know, how God favored them and fulfilled that promise. So you have the birth of Isaac. Now, was Isaac born because of anything that Abraham and Sarah did? Did they earn God's favor? <laughs> no. Right? You're laughing because you, you know the story, right? We've been going through the story. No, it was not. It was grace. It was unmerited favor that they received. God fulfilled it because of who he is, not because of who they were, but because of who he is. All right, we next move on to verses 4 through 5. Let's take a look at verses 4 and 5. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now this begs the question, would you want a hundred-year-old person performing a circumcision? I have to tell you, I have to just be honest with you, that occurred to me while I was studying this passage. But we know that God provided, Abraham was clear of sight, he was strong as far as his muscles were concerned and everything, and he was able to do that. But more importantly, in verses 4 and 5, we have something that speaks to authority, and that is circumcision. And what is circumcision Am I spelling that right? I'm too close to it. C-I-S-I-O-N, yeah. It should be an I there, right? See, You know what it means. All right, so. What is circumcision a symbol for? The covenant, that's right. And how did that covenant come about? Covenant. Who was responsible for the covenant? God. God put it into place. He said to Abraham, this is what I'm going to do for you. Did Abraham have to do anything? There were no conditions. Usually a contract spells out what the two sides have to do. But in this case, it was all God. It was all what God was going to do. And it was God using his authority. Because of that, Abraham could live in the authority of God. He could claim the authority of God because of the covenant. He could claim the authority and the power of God. All right, we're next going to move on to verses 6 and 7. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? 
yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Now, how old is Sarah? Yeah, she's 90. But she has to rub it in, right, as far as Abraham is concerned. So this is Sarah really talking about her favor. In verses 6 through 7, this is how she uh, received God's favor. And again, remember it's Sarah. And she gushes. She really gushes about this. I mean, she's really excited about this favor that God has shown uh, to them. All right, next we move on to verses 8 through 10. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. And that would have been older in those days than it, than it is now. It probably was four or five years old. It could have been as old as 10 to 12, believe it or not. We don't know exactly, but, uh, you know, he would have been a rugrat, at least. He would have been running around. But Sarah saw, but, we like to you know that word, but. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So, you know, this is Ishmael. He's probably 30, I guess, 30-some, 30 30-something. 30 so she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. Whose son was it? It was, her, it was Hagar's son, but who else? Abraham's. For the son of this slave woman... The slave woman was her servant, shall not be heir with my son, Isaac. And yes, Isaac was her son, but also Abraham's. Now, this doesn't show favor, but instead, verses... I can't make a V. This is, shows that they are out of favor, at least out of favor as far as Sarah is concerned, right? Hagar and Ishmael, they have now fallen out of favor. Whose idea was it to use Hagar as the surrogate mother? She neglects to mention that in all of this. So this is not walking in favor, but you can see what happens when we don't walk in God's favor. This type of sin then creeps in, and we have something that happens out of favor. Let's continue with verse 11. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. Who are we talking about here? His son. Talking about Ishmael. Very displeasing. One translation says that Abraham was distressed. He's torn. Why is he torn? He does. He loves Ishmael because he's his son. In fact, he's his firstborn. So, uh, you see, this really has to do with authority. And we'll get into more of that, why it does when we look at verse 12. 
but Ishmael was his firstborn. We don't know why Abraham was distressed. It could have only been because it was his first son, and he loved him. But also, you know, God had promised this great nation. What if something happened to Isaac? Is it possible that Ishmael was Abraham's backup plan? Maybe that's what he was thinking. You know, we don't know. All right, let's let's take a look at verse 12 and see what's going to happen. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever, Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Do you think Abraham wanted to hear that from God? Probably not. Had Sarah been submissive, as both husband and wife are supposed to be submissive when we have something in our marriage that we need to to deal with? Was Sarah being submissive? Mm -mm. She's being ugly. She's being absolutely ugly about this. And yet, what does God say? You should listen to Sarah. Because that will fulfill my original covenanted promise. And that's where the authority of God comes in. Sarah was not submissive, but it was the right thing to do. And it was the right thing to do because of God's authority. All right? And this should be God's authority. And that brings us to the second lesson that we learn in in, uh, chapter 21. The first was that God's blessings continue to come into the lives of his people, even when their faith is at its lowest ebb. The second lesson is that the right things sometimes happen for the wrong reason. And there are lots of examples of this in the Bible. You know, look at Joseph. That's a prime example of something bad that happened to Joseph. You know, he was sold into slavery. And what did God do? He worked that for good. He worked that to save the Israelites. He even tells his brothers that. What you intended for, God, for bad, God intended for good. And it's the same thing with Potiphar. Remember, he was a, a servant or a uh, I forget what his capacity was with Potiphar. He worked in the household. And remember, his Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, and, and he fleed, and, 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 but yet he got thrown in jail. But it was because of that that he got to go before Pharaoh. So the, sometimes things happen for the wrong reason. The right things happen for the wrong reason. Job is another example of that, where Satan you know, pretty much destroyed Job because he thought that Job was only, uh, the bottom line was only important to him, his, his wealth, his resources. Uh, but God allowed that to happen to prove otherwise. You know, we think about the recent tragedies that we've seen on the news. We think about the hurricanes and so on. Now, God did not design those hurricanes and the destruction that resulted from them in order to bring people together. But he can use that opportunity to bring people together. And the news has been filled with different illustrations of people from all nationalities, creeds, and so on, coming together to help each other. The same is true with the the shootings in Las Vegas. God didn't design that. He had no hand in that. And yet he can use that horrible situation to bring people together. And you know, we've probably had instances of that in our own lives as well. You know, I think about the emergency appendectomy that I had to have. 
It was right at the time when God was, was working to call me to enter the ministry. And I would have nothing to do with it. And yet that time of recuperation was when God spoke to me most clearly and most in, in a very strong way. So the right things sometimes happen for the wrong reason. And that's the miracle of our God. That's the omnipotence of our God. He can take anything and use it to further his plan and to accomplish his plan. Now, there's a difference between the promise that is received by sight or by flesh and the promise that is received by faith or by God's power and authority. Ishmael was a, God, was a promise received by sight. That was when Abraham and Sarah took matters into their own hands. Now remember when a couple of weeks ago I used the word sarks, uh, flesh. That's the Greek word for flesh. And I said it just doesn't mean sexual type of things. Flesh refers to our human condition. It's our humanness. It's when we rely on our own abilities. That is a promise received by sight. All right? And not through faith. Isaac was the promise received through faith. That was the one that God made happen. And uh, we, we read in Galatians 4, verses 22 and 23. I think DJ uh, mentioned this when he spoke to us several weeks ago. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, human ability, but his son by the free woman, Sarah, was born as a result of the divine promise, and that's faith. That is faith. Uh, We'll look at another New Testament verse. This one from, uh, I think it should be 2 Corinthians. Um, It's verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And we have to be reminded that we each have our own battle as well. We each have our own battle. Do we trust the flesh? That's what we want to do. We want to depend on our own resources, our own abilities. Or do we depend on God's Spirit, God's Holy Spirit to guide and direct us? All right, we're going to move on to the next part of our story. And we are continuing with the second story that's in Uh, Chapter 21, Hagar and Ishmael are protected. Let's take a look now at verse 13. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So Ishmael is being shown favor here. Why is he being shown favor? He, it's kind of like on the coattails of the covenant that God made with Abraham. He's going to make a nation of your offspring. And so Ishmael, even though he was the result of them taking matters into their own hands, fulfilling that promise by sight and not by faith, uh, Ishmael is going to receive favor. And a nation will, he'll become a nation. And then let's take a look at verse 14. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child. And 
he was 30-some, so I don't know. We get the impression that, she, that the child was on her shoulder too, but I don't think so. Uh, along with the child, and sent her away, and she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Um, so we have in verse 14, uh, Hagar and Ishmael, again, are not favored, really, by Abraham. They are sent out of the camp, but that's because God, that Abraham is obeying the uh, authority of God. So at verse 14, we have them again, Hagar and Ishmael, not favored, at least by Abraham. Now, Abraham was somewhat of means. He could have given them quite a bit. But what did he choose to give them? A little bit of bread and a skin of water. That was it. And he did this early in the morning. Why do you think he did it early in the morning? Why is that significant? Yeah, everybody else is quiet, right? He could do this without a big big brouhaha. He could also say his goodbyes privately. And also it gave them a head start on the day when it was still cool and they could go out into the desert. All right, we next move on to verses 15 through 18. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. As she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. Another translation says she sobbed. She was really desperate. They were out of water. They were out of food. And these verses are really going to talk about how they are now favored. So let's continue on with this story, 17 and 18. And God heard the voice, not of Hagar, as I said during the children's sermon, but the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy. The boy, Ishmael, is continuing to be favored uh, where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. So now you have God's favor in verses 15 through 18. God's favor to Hagar and Ishmael. He provides for them. And we see, and we know this from the children's story in verses 19 through 21, God opened up her eyes. She saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And this really, the lesson that we tried to communicate in the children's story is the next lesson that we learn in chapter 21. And that is that God's answer to our problems is often the solution that has been there all along. It was too close for us to see it. Uh, What keeps us from seeing those solutions? It can be our tears, but it can be our anxiety. It can also be our dependence on our own resources. We think that we want to solve the problem. We can handle this, right? And that's especially a condition that as Americans we face, this can-do attitude, this lack of dependence that we have on a supreme being. It's not the American way, unfortunately. All right, 
So that pretty much concludes the story of Hagar and Ishmael being protected out in the wilderness. We've talked about the birth of Isaac and about Hagar and Ishmael, and now we move on to the third story in chapter 21, which is that of the treaty with Abimelech. Let's take a look at verse 22. Um, At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. So, in verse 22, we have the fact that Abimelech recognized God's favor on Abraham. This supposed pagan king recognized God's favor, God's hand on Abraham. And he does this despite last week's story. You know, the fact that Abraham lied to him and didn't just lie to him, almost caused him to die. Because what did God tell Abimelech? If you touch Sarah, I'm going to kill you. You will be, you know, God presses the smite button at that point, as far as uh, Abimelech is concerned. I just thought of an old Gary Larson cartoon. (laughs) It almost cost Abimelech his life. And this really brings us to the fourth lesson that we learn as uh, a part of Genesis 21, and that is, I think I'm hitting it too many times. What happened? (laughs) All right, here's the lesson. Well, they worked to get that back up. Abraham learned that the greatest portion of our fears are unfounded. You see, Abraham was all fearful that he was going to be killed so that Abimelech could take his wife. And that's why he lied. As Tim, you know, mentioned last week, they had this promise. They had this covenant that Sarah was going to bear a son. Therefore, would God protect her? Yes, but they didn't rely on that. Instead, they took matters into their own hands. So Abraham learned that the greatest portion of our fears are unfounded. We also have the whole idea of the the treaty. Uh, Look at verse uh, 23. Now therefore swear to me here by your God. That's relying on the authority of God here, right? So that's where verse 23 comes in. It's the treaty was based on the authority of, of God. And that is because uh, Abimelech wants Abraham to swear to that. All right. And we go into the details here, but it says that you will not deal falsely with me. Well, why do you think he mentioned that? Because he had dealt falsely with him, right? He had lied to him. Or my descendants, or my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. 
So let's quickly go through the rest of the chapter just so you can see some of the other details here. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water, uh, see, Abraham saw a chance because he had been wronged by some of Abimelech's maybe soldiers, I'm not quite sure, I don't remember the story about the the well being taken, but uh, Abimelech's servants had seized. Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. I wish I could have a nickel for every time I said that as a principle. I did not know (laughs) who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard about it until today. All right. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a covenant, and Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewes uh, that you have set apart? And he said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. So Abraham is saying, I own the well. I have rights to the well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of the army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. That's another thing that's pretty amazing about this. Abimelech came to Abraham, you know, left his palace and came to Abraham to make this covenant. Abraham planted a a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. So he must have been comfortable. He, was, uh, he stayed there for many, many days. All right, let's recap. Lessons learned from Genesis 21. God's blessings continue to come to the lives of his people, even when their faith is at its lowest ebb. The right thing sometimes happened for the wrong reason. God's answer to our problem is often a solution that has been there all along. The greatest portion of our fears are unfounded. All right, now let's talk about God's authority and favor. When do we receive God's authority? Base your answer on this question, when did Abraham? Think about that. Think about when did Abraham receive God's authority? And the answer to that is when he trusted him. And the same is true for us, when we trust him. When we don't act on our own, try to take matters into our own hands, it's when we trust him. When do we receive God's favor? Well, the answer to that is all the time, believe it or not. You know the verse, it rains on the just and the unjust? All of us receive a certain amount of God's blessings. But how about his full favor? When do we receive God's full favor? When we do good? When we impress him? (laughs) We think we're going to impress God. No, it's when we obey him. You see, when we obey him, when we do what we're supposed to do, that then takes the consequences out of the picture. The consequences are real. We can see the consequences all through this. The consequences of Abraham and Sarah's disbelief, their lack of faith, 
When we receive God's favor, it's because we obey him. It's because we trust and obey him. Anybody know what this is? It's a sword. You know what kind of a sword it is? Yeah, that's very good. All right, thank you. It is a double-edged sword. And that is how we are supposed to walk the walk with a double-edged sword. The first edge is trust. We have to trust in God, and then we receive his authority. The second edge is obedience. We have to obey. And when we will obey, we receive God's favor. In just a minute, we're going to be singing a very familiar hymn called Trust and Obey. And, you know, we so often sing these songs and we don't listen to the words. I want you to just listen as I read these before, before we sing. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, talking about obedience, what a glory he sheds on our way. When we do his good will, that speaks to obedience too, doesn't it? He abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies. That's speaking about our fears. But his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt or a fear, not a sigh nor a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share. It's talking about our pain, our toil, our suffering. But our toil he doth richly repay. Not a grief or a loss, not a frown or a cross, but is blessed, there's favor, if we trust and obey. But we never can prove the delights of his love, more favor, until all on the altar we lay. That's obedience. For the favor he shows, for the joy he bestows, more favor, are for them who will trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet we will sit at his feet or will walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do. Where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Let us pray. Father God, we're reminded of all that you provide for us. Your favor is just incredible. Father, it takes our breath away how you bless us. And you bless us even when, even when, Father, we've turned our backs on you. And so help us to receive the full measure, the full benefit, that overflowing cup of your favor through obedience. Help us to trust in you, not take matters into our own hands, but to fully trust in you and receive the full measure of your power and authority also. And lead us, Father, as we attempt to trust and obey. Amen.